Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Several passages in the Bible depict humans as reflecting the image of God. And by extension, the entire creation bears the mark of the image, the fingerprint or image of the Creator. And of course, that's the notion in Genesis that at the creation, it says the first pair were created in the image of God. Then this image is depicted as being realized or, or fully realized in the person and work of Christ. And so that I want to return to the passage. We actually did this last week, the same passage, but it is a passage that's so full of meaning. Colossians 1.15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And notice he is both the invisible image of God, but then the implication that this imaging extends to creation. In verse 16, By him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. That is that he is the purpose behind creation. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And so we know from Genesis that we're created to reflect the image of God and here we see that Christ is the fulfillment. He's the perfect image barrier that we are going to have our image completely fulfilled or restored through Christ. And where we reflect our own image, we fail. That is, if we just mirror ourselves, there's a certain emptiness. And where we reflect the divine image, then we've taken on our proper role. This is the same idea, I think, that's there in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is that communication of God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is, this is who God is. He was in the beginning with God. This is describing the person of Christ. All things came into being through Him. All are going to bear the mark of the Word of God And apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Creation bears the mark, the word of its creator. So Christ is the very heart of the communion of God, the divine communion. That is, he is who God is in his expressive communion. He is God's inner self-expression, if we could put it that way. He is the word from eternity. But he's also God's outward self-expression that we see in the world, in creation, and in human imaging. And so the passage here in Colossians says, the order of creation holds together in him. And then it says, it's through him, but it's for him. He is the purpose being worked out, being brought to fulfillment in the universe. And so the universe has a destiny And this destiny is not that it would be destroyed, right? Rather, it will be brought to the conclusion, to the fullness, to the completion, 
which God intended for it from the beginning. It's anticipated in the incarnate word, in the glorified Christ. And so God's creative love freely calls forth in the world a created love, that love calling to love. But we are created in his image and we can respond then to God's creative call. That is God's expressive, God's community, communication, and so are we. And so the cosmos without Christ, if we think of, this is the passage in Ephesians. He is the head of the body, the church, the beginning. Very similar passage to Colossians. The cosmos without Christ is without a head, is without purpose. It does not hold together, you know, if we stated it in the negative. Christ is the purpose of this universe. He is the exemplar of creation, the model of what is intended for, for the universe. You know, if we're to find the center of the world and we're to find our own center, our own meaning, we'll find this in Christ. I'm saying something very simple here, but actually something that we're not used to hearing. That is, we often think of Christ as, oh, well, he came to save us from sin. Now that's certainly true, but what we have in this passage, there's no mention of sin at all. That Christ is really the fulfillment of God's original purpose even before there was sin. That is, the incarnation is the end goal of creation, and sin is just a blip on that radar. We don't subsume all of who Christ is in the work simply of saving from sin. Christ's incarnation is not an emergency that wouldn't have come about apart from sin. No, that's the whole point of creation. God from the beginning is creating through Christ and for Christ. The incarnation was always the intended purpose for the fulfillment of creation. Now we know that there was the possibility of the fall and God planned for that, but God did not predestine Christ because humankind sinned. The incarnation is the end of creation, the point of creation, the purpose, the goal. And so I'm saying this very simple thing that really is quite revolutionary. Sin is not the cause of the work of Christ. Creation is the cause of the work of Christ. He's the fulfillment. Creation is, you know, if we had to put it in the language of our lesson today, is the overflowing of the love of God, and this is completed in Christ, and this would have always been completed in Christ. So we discover the structure, the meaning of humanity, of creation, its purpose. God created toward an end which is embodied in Christ, and we come to Christ to find this purpose, and our own purpose. And the two things go together, our purpose and the purpose of the created order we find together. Maybe if we think in terms of the original pair, Adam and Eve knew who they were as gardeners. That was their job. They were the gardeners. They were the tenders. They were given the dominion mandate. And maybe dominion is the wrong word. They were given care for creation. We are put here for creation care. Creation care for the world, but also for other people. And then they lost that role. You know, they are cast out of the garden. They were no longer given a meaningful occupation. And Christ then is restoring 
the work that we originally were to be given. There's a lot of passages that talk about a return, a taking up of the activity of creation care. Certainly there is the activity of Christ, that we are to be peacemakers, we are to be healers, we are to be reconcilers, we are to be tenders of God's lovely creation. And so the work of Christ, the work realized in, in Christ, is the work that's extended to us. This tells us what our work is, what we're to be about in the world. As John depicts it, at its deepest level, the world is geared toward being a medium for God, for the self-communication of God. The world does not contain its own meaning. It doesn't contain its own ground. Neither do we. It works like a sign. The world points beyond itself. It transcends itself. It points to God. And as it reflects God, and as we reflect God, it takes up its proper meaning. And so it expresses itself outwardly. Could we put it that way? And we express ourselves outwardly, pointing beyond ourselves. Now we know this can be lost, and it has been lost, because the world can be made to fail, that there's free choice. But this does not mean that it's not adequate. It is still perfectly adequate for God's purposes. You know, what Paul is describing in Colossians, in Ephesians, what John is describing is Jesus is the summit of creation, so that what takes place in Jesus is intended for the whole cosmos. The world then is being reordered as it's fallen into disorder. It's being reordered around Christ. And the body of Christ, the church, is part of that reordering of the world. And so there is this work that Paul describes, the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ in Ephesians 1.19, when he raised him from the dead. You know, what's the disorder? Well, the disorder expresses itself in death and in a life that's given over to death. But he is made far above all rule and authority and power, verse 21 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. All things are put into subjection to him under his feet. He is the head of all things. And so Paul is depicting the drive of the world, the drive of history, the goal. It's unfolding toward its spiritual end. It's not a destruction that the world was created for, but a completion in which the divine, the incarnation, puts on flesh. And flesh then is taken up into who God is. The incarnation ends in the ascension and all of creation is pictured as following in the train of Christ so that creation is ordered for spiritual purposes. Divine puts on human that the human might put on the divine image that we were created for. And so from all eternity the father begets a son similar to himself. He expresses himself in the son and in so doing, he expresses, as the passage in 1 John says, the sum total of the love of God. The word is this self-expression of God. And we take up this word into our own life. Now, we know it's possible to be an empty image. You know, there are signs along the highway that say, you know, the sign is no longer pointing to anything significant. I guess vote for Trump is no longer a significant sign or gas here if there's no gas station open. There are empty signs. 
but no longer point to anything. We can be an empty sign, a word that does not mean anything. Raymond Panneker states it that Christ is the symbol of the whole of reality, so that not only are all creatures treasures of divinity included in Christ, but that all the mysteries of man, as well as the thickness of the universe, are also hidden in him. In him all things hold together, subject and object, the interpretation and the interpreted, the phenomena and the noumena. They're all inextricably linked in Christ because he is the sign, but he's also what's signified. Here is the Trinitarian mystery of God in which God is able to communicate and commune within himself and we are open to participating in that union. The notion of Christ as the word, the symbol of God, he is by nature what we are to become. We are to be what Christ was, what Christ is. You know, this is an unfolding reality through a creation of union with God. Now let me bring all this home and, and state it. And I've, I've, I've been rather abstract, but let me state it in very simple, straightforward terms. When we study the Bible, we read the Bible, we read continually about the story of Christ. But our story has been joined to the story of Christ, right? And so that our own story is one that we continue to interpret that we continue to understand more completely. And I don't mean just our story in the abstract, I mean our daily life. That our daily life then, we realize, is one that is reflective of this participation in God. So that the history of Christ and our own personal history are joined. And we find Christ in our story. Some events in our life, are interwoven with the DNA of who we are. Can we, you know, we were talking about the community here being rooted in Missouri. Can we take the Missouri out of you and you still be who you are? Can we take this community out of you or the story that you have here in this community? No, that's part of who you are. That's part of who we all are. And we all have these stories that are taken up. They're expanded upon, they're interpreted they're joined to Christ. And just as we read and reread the story of Jesus, in the same way our own story emerges in the way the creaturely moments of our life are taken up and transformed into an eternal image. Now, I'm not saying that every note will continue to ring. You know, there are some things maybe you don't want to continue on. And of course, that's the sin, that's the evil. But there are notes that are resonant with who you are that will continue to ring, I believe, throughout eternity. They echo in the soul. Paul describes that the heart might be expanded in 2 Corinthians. And so who we are, our story, is joined to this manifestation, this evolving or unfolding manifestation of Christ, the center of the universe. Let me give you a word. We can call this, you know, an orchestra plays a symphony. Maybe this is a Christophany in which our own lives are joined to the eternal orchestra in which the manifestation of the divine love, it flows into our, our own incarnate consciousness through our own experience, our own story. 
I'll give you the, the conclusion here in, in my own version of this. I was 13 in the summer of 1969. I've told you about riding my horse and I remember packing a, a horse and I took a five-day trip out in the middle of nowhere. I covered 120 miles in the Texas Panhandle. Actually, Faith and I just watched a documentary of the immigrants coming across the border and they're all dying in Texas. And the place they were coming to looked exactly like the place I was writing in Texas. Don't think beautiful, think desolate, think hot. And the trip then was very mundane in many ways, maybe in most ways. And the point is not to make this particular time bear a peculiar weight. But I think this is the moment in my own life I had just become a Christian. And I distinctly remember experiencing then my newfound faith in this circumstance. At 13, I couldn't articulate it. But I began comprehending creation in the way I've described, in the way that Paul describes in Colossians, that he holds all things together, that we can see the fingerprints of God. We encounter the word of God, the meaning of the universe, that creation reflects this one who comprehends it. You know, Christ is the comprehension. And somehow I realized the communion of the Trinity. I can say it this way, I couldn't have said it then, but it was open. The very purpose of who I was, I began to feel that purpose. And what I'm describing, I think we can all describe, that we all need to look at our own lives. That there is in our own history, the bearer, we become the bearers of the divine history when we joined or are joined to Christ, that our story begins to look different. And the realization of these moments come in the context of the recognition of creation and recreation through the Creator. And so like my trip on this trip into what we might, you know, really if, you, if I would take you there and you would look at where I was at, you would say this is a place that God has completely abandoned. It's just dreary and it's a desert and it's hot. But the transcendence of the moment is not one that depended upon the landscape or the one that in a sense transported me elsewhere. But it's the realization that nature speaks from what is its very center. He is the head. All things were created through him and for him. And at age 13, maybe the phenomenology, the hermeneutic, I didn't know those words. But they began to play in my life. That is, I began to experience things in a new way. I think we all have, and we all need to recognize that as it's played out in our lives. That is, that in some way, we are no longer reflecting something that's empty, but something that's full. The way that Paul will talk about this in the Corinthian letters, he talks about it as two ways of looking in the mirror. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about this mirror. If it's just reflecting your own image, the mirror is a kind of disjunction, a disunion, because you can't achieve what's in the mirror. But then in 2 Corinthians, he talks about the mirror of the word, that instead of reflecting our own image, when we look at the mirror rightly, we reflect and see the image of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, 
but all of us with unveiled face mirroring the Lord's glory are being transformed into the same image. Here is an evolving image. We are becoming more and more Christ-like from glory to glory as by the Lord's Spirit that our face begins to change. The image begins to bear the likeness of the one that we reflect. The unveiled face is now continually absorbing and reflecting, taking in and being taken in, seeing and being seen. He's describing this confrontation with the reality of Christ. I think Paul is using this imagery because Corinth was a mirror manufacturing place, but he's also using it because it's an image there in the New Testament and the Old Testament that James talks about the mirror of the word that we bear this image of God when we reflect rightly and so we can either be the mirror of first Corinthians the tendency of course there they're just reflecting who they are their own selfishness their own disunity and the problem is that the image that we reflect you know the gifts of the spirit even are pro a problem they can be taken, or we can be taken as an end in and of ourselves. And the visual image of the self and the linguistic, the symbolic image, if that's the end of it, that creates a problem in which we imagine we are our own end, our own ground. But the mirror pictured in 2 Corinthians, the difference, it's reflecting Christ. And the reflection of Christ in the human image produces an eternal change. And this is what he's talking about. He's talking about Moses. You remember when Moses came down from Mount Horeb, his face was shining and he put a veil, but the glow changes, it fades. Paul's saying this doesn't, this is an unfading glory. This is permanent. And so he depicts this Christian mirror as a face-to-face -face encounter that has already begun in a kind of being transformed from glory to glory. He talks about it as a removing of the veil. That is, no longer is it the veil of the law. But there is the transformation of this subject into Christ's image, into glory from glory to glory. It's a dynamic, eternally ongoing process that has begun now in the story of our lives that we can begin to see and reflect the image, the living word, through the spirit, by the word who transforms us into his image. And so what Christ provides in Colossians, in the depiction there, it's really passage beyond nature. It's a depiction of the natural world it's beyond the laws of this world. It's beyond a mere self-reflection to mirroring the glory of the Father in the image of the Son by the Spirit. I believe this gets at who God is. This is a, it's certainly a psychological analogy of the Trinity, but it's also a picture of who we are. That in Him all things hold together. He is the purpose. He is the one in whom and through whom and for whom we are created, and all things are created. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.